Welcome. Welcome to JavaScript Jam. The podcast. Yeah, buddy. We are not live. We're live in person. We're live in the liveness. In the liveness. But not live on the internet. Right. So it's been a couple weeks since, since, yeah. A couple weeks since what? We put an episode out every week. What are you talking about? Since the conference. Oh, right. Okay. (laughs) Let's not do that. All right. (laughs) We have here with us Christoph Nakazawa, who will be joining us from Remix Conf. We're going to be talking about the game he is creating, a little bit of his background as well. So, Christoph, thank you for joining us. Why don't you let our listeners know who you are, what you do, and a little bit of how you got here. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm Christoph. Um, as you said, thanks for introducing me. Thanks for having me. Uh, I am now an indie game developer living in Tokyo, um, which is quite a big departure from what I used to do. Seems like a good place to live if you want to be an indie game developer. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's a good place to live in general. Um, but also, yeah, I guess a good place to, to be in when you when you want to make video games. Um, and as I said, it's a, it's a big departure from what I used to do, but uh, I'm still sticking with JavaScript. So everything that I'm building is all built from scratch with JavaScript. And Always been on JavaScript. That's what I've heard. Absolutely. Great. So I'll be curious to hear a little bit about how you got into coding, some of your background you've worked on. It's a very... Uh, very well-known projects such as Moo Tools, which people who are big into web history will know that Moo Tools allegedly created everything first. I've heard. <laughs> I I don't think that's necessarily true. It's also like kind of funny when you you know when you work on these projects, you don't ever think that they're going to be useful or that they'll stick around or that or that anyone will remember them in the future. Or that even but, legends will be written about yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, maybe. But like the the thing is that you know you you don't think about that that will be part of like history, but yeah, like anything work. you work on, it kind of like, you know, sticks with you. Um, like not just the experience that you get from working on it um, and like maybe the friends that you make, but also like just the, the stories about it. Um, so um, it's pretty wild, like thinking about how long ago that was um, and that like people still like remember that. Um, so yeah, the, the way I got into coding was like, and, and that's like the interesting thing, how like now I'm a video game developer is that when I was like, 10, 11, 12, I started using like this program called RPG Maker. I don't know if, you, if you've ever heard of that. It's like this 2D kind of like game engine editor where you can like create your own RPGs, which is actually created by a Japanese company. And like, yeah, I I'll think say that, straight up that I know absolutely nothing about game development. <laughs> so you'll be teaching me a lot within this conversation. Right, right, right. So, so it was like, I think... I'm not even sure if it was like translated to English or like some people like hacked the Japanese version and like translated it and that's like how I got it. I have like absolutely no idea. But there's like this huge so I'm from Austria and so it's this huge German community of like people that made like RPGs with this thing. And it was like this kind of, you know, um editor. It was like a, a Windows program. So it wasn't like in on the web. It was like you download it and then you have like this 2D editor where you like put things on the map and like you draw, you put your character, and then it had scripting, but not like you you couldn't code. You could just like put things together like you, you could like make loops but like with this kind of like visual scripting language where like you click buttons and like you compose like your program and you know when i was 10 or 11 i really didn't get most of that but i was like dabbling you know and then i the way i was like learning about it was like through like forums on the internet or like websites and then i was like i i want to make websites and so 
the way I really learned how to code was like by, you know, I was 12 years old and I just did right click and view source. And I'm like, oh, that looks cool. And then I, I used like Microsoft front page and like Dreamweaver. I, I don't know if you've ever used those. I, I used Dreamweaver because yeah, Dreamweaver. I, I took a, a web design class when I was in high school. This would have been 2007. And they taught us with Dreamweaver. Yeah. And you know, looking back, I wish I had just learned HTML, but it, <laughs> it was able to create a website, you know, so it, it worked for sure. Yep. Yeah. I, I used them, but then I pretty quickly, like I, I didn't, I wasn't satisfied with their like editing experience. So I like switched over to the, the code panel and thankfully there were some, you know, my English wasn't that good at the time. I think it's still not that good, but like at the time, <laughs> yeah, to me. yeah, but like, you know, I had to teach myself how to do that through like the internet. Right. And like, so there were some German resources where I could like read up on like how HTML works and like CSS was still like kind of fairly early and like JavaScript. And, you know, for me, it was, you know, when I was 12 years old, it was a big jump from like um, my first web page website was like, you know, just a bunch of HTML sites and like the header on the footer and the like sidebar, they were just copy pasted across those HTML pages. Right. And then at some point I learned about um, iframes. <laughs> and so, so the funny thing is that my first like kind of more dynamic website had like um, this top level thing with like four iframes. It was like header iframe and the sidebar iframe and then the content and then the footer iframe. And then over time I learned about like PHP and, and then, um, so, so the interesting thing happened where like somebody gave me like, oh, here's like an if statement and here's how you include some like like code or like like HTML. Um, if somebody requests this page, you output your about page or if you request like the blog post page, you output the blog post. And so for the longest time, like I didn't understand more about coding than that. Um, but I, I just tried to keep making things and I kind of moved away from like making games for like desktop computers, like RPGs or something to making websites. And, and somehow I was able to figure out JavaScript and I came across this like, I would say group of misfits that, that like built this really cool like JavaScript library. And so it started all with like moo.fx, which was like this, um, one of the first like kind of web animation frameworks. And this like this predates even GitHub, right? So, yeah. Like where yeah. was this code even living? Yeah, it was just living on this. Uh, there was this guy called Valerio Proietti, and he's from like Rome, from Italy, and it lived basically on his hard drive. And he just put it up on the internet, and it was like this is like three kilobytes, um, and this is an animation library. And you just um, like download a zip and yeah. just run it. That's exactly. Incredible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But then, so the interesting thing was that um, I started using all his stuff, and then he created like he built like a lot of these like libraries, and then he put them together and he called them moo tools and like uh, that's when a bunch of people um that i'm you know luckily still friends with today um like they all jo joined that that project and i you know it was tough for me to like switch from like primarily speaking german to like suddenly being in this like english-speaking environment and we were like on an irc chat and we were actually using subversion so so that like came along and like um i don't know if anybody remembers but it's like subversion a, being a uh, version control that is not git and that many people migrated off of to Git. exactly yeah so the interesting thing is yeah git actually started existing around that time but nobody knew about it until github came out in 2008 right, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. and like the mutuals group was actually an early adopter like my github account i created in like 2008 like like wow. a month or two after github came out because mm -hmm. one of the mutuals folks was like we got to use this and everybody's like no we're really happy with subversion but that like changed within like a month or two hmm. um but the, the interesting thing is that like at first i didn't really contribute to mutuals but what was so fascinating was that valerio the creator of mutuals um when you went on the mutuals website you could like pick the pieces of mutuals that you wanted to download i think that's 
almost unthinkable today that like you would go on a like nowadays you install your npm package and it's like okay my bundle bloated by like a megabyte and it's like whatever (laughs) right like it's like obviously we care about it but it's like you like back then all these libraries they were like one kilobyte or two kilobytes and like the intelligent thing that that like valeria did was you go on the mutuals website and you can download this like mutuals.js and that was like the thing that has everything but you can go on this like customization like custom download page and then you could pick the pieces that you wanted and so you could say, oh, I only care about the animations or I only care about this like kind of class constructor thing or I care about like extending my um, classes with like events. And so you could like add on or like strip out things that you wanted, uh, like add on things that you wanted or strip out things that you didn't want. And so that was the thing where I was like, man, this is so cool because he had like individual JS files, but they knew the dependencies between each other. Because if you're like, oh, I want events for classes, it would like also select the class package, right? Mm -hmm. And so my first email, my first reach out to him was like, hey, what is this cool thing that you have where you like manage dependencies in JavaScript? And that was like in 2006, I think. <laughs> so like um, that was the first email. And so that's how I got into it. I, and he sent me like this PHP file and it's like, this is my bundler. And that was like the first bundler that I ever used um, and like customized. And I used it for all the things that I built at that time. That's awesome. Very cool. So then how did you transition that into like a career in tech? <laughs> yeah, um, that that's a great question. Um, so the interesting thing is that I built two things at the time. So I built web-based JavaScript games. So they were all like mostly text games or like, you know, they had like simple 2D graphics, but they were not anime. There were no animations. I had like one game where there was one animation and the only animation was the cursor was animated. So you could see where the cursor is. So like, (laughs) that's like kind of the level of animations that, you know, there were flash games. They all looked amazing, but I was never into like closed kind of environments. Like the thing that I was so into was like this original idea of open source. And I think we can get back to that later with like stuff that I worked on, but like there was like Linus Torvalds, you know, for all the things that, you know, he might say on the internet and how he works as a contributor, um, like how he might insult people. But like, he has some like really core principles and he wrote like books about it. And like, I think it, the book was called like just for fun or something. So like the fact that he's like kind of doing open source just for fun, but it's also like, Hey, this is useful to me and it might be useful to you. And like, you just put it up there, right? Like, it, you know, nowadays on GitHub and you're like, okay, you know, if you like it, please use it. And like, I was so into that. And so, um, I was in this Mutuals community and I just wanted to give back. I was like, I, I'm, I was building games. I was building a social network for like just my friends and it was all in German. So like, you know, I, I never thought about, I was a teenager. I was like 16, 17. So that's I, really interesting that even back then there was an open source community <coughs> that was in a non-English speaking language. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the Mutuals folks were all, all speaking English, but like that book, I think was translated to German. So I read it in like German, but I think this is something that in the tech community, it's not like not really acknowledged how hard it is for uh, like most people in the world to even learn English, to be productive in like English speaking environments. Like totally. And like our programming languages are all like the keywords are all in English and that can be very challenging. I'm sure. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's weird. Like a lot of words that I learned from programming languages in English, they mean so much more to me in like the context of a programming language. And later on I'm like, Oh, this is actually a word that you use in the language. That reminds me of, that episode that we had with Chris uh, and he was talking about how like the dollar symbol and he was using, you know, yeah, he's like, like, why not the pound symbol? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kind of like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and so, so the thing was that I was building all these things and then um, by just like, like working with other people and like building Mutuals. And I think, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we did wrong then. Like, so we learned also about how not to do open source properly. What are some examples? Yeah. uh, I think there's like one thing where like we had like a forum 
And like, I think Mutools was always this kind of like, this is for the advanced developer, right? And there weren't that many advanced JavaScript developers. We weren't either in that sense, right? Like everybody was kind of learning. That's an interesting but, parallel to right now. I follow Theo and his community and he does the same thing where he says like, if you're a beginner, that's okay. You can join, but this is not really a beginner space. This is a space for senior developers. He specifically wants to make a space for that. And I think that's, there's a lot of value to that because for people who are beginners and want to get in there's a million communities for you but it can be hard to like find where are the other developers who've been doing this for a while and can help me level up right yeah it's it's certainly interesting and like the i feel like that's how we all started out so just for context for people who haven't heard about mutuals there's um all these folks like um guillermo rauch the ceo of Vercel, ryan florence was like part like maybe not on the team but always around there was tom okino who led the react uh, org at, at facebook for a long time sebastian mark borga who is like the tech lead on react um yeah i would say it's like for like a music comparison it's like the factory like the uh, Andy Warhol had this group of musicians who was like the Velvet Underground and they like spread out to make like a million bands and it's like you see this a lot in the music industry where you'll have this like tight-knit group of people who are very into a thing and are very talented and may or may not get exposure but then they like go and seed a million different projects absolutely yeah. and it's also really fascinating just to track like where people like pop up and like what they end up doing like down the line um so we were talking about like the the whole intermediate and like you know mutuals was supposed to be for intermediate folks right but um and like i'm kind of through those learnings i i actually believe that nowadays you should make everything as beginner friendly as possible right and i actually i would blame the frameworks or like the communities if they are not accepting of like so, you know obviously you might want to have a private community for something but if you're making something that's open source then it has to be beginner friendly or otherwise it's not worth like, i very doing, much right? agree with that yeah. i think that making something open to everyone and letting people come with their own experience level and trying to figure out how to make it work for them. Like I'm very big on that. And I understand why some communities want to be a little more like senior developers only because they feel like they don't really have their own space. But like, I, I very much agree with you that I think yeah. that a space should be welcoming to people of all experience levels. Yeah. Because I guess the thing that, and that's what we learned at Mutuals were, um, you know, we had this forum and then we were just like kind of not helping people out. They were like reasonable questions. We were like, Oh, you just don't get it. Just read the manual. Right. Like that yeah, kind of stuff. Read the docs. And like, yeah, I think, like, okay, sure. <laughs> yeah. And like all of those things, like we all learned that as like this Mutuals like developer team. Right. And we weren't, none of us got paid to work on Mutuals. It wasn't like a thing that you got paid to work on open source at the there time. There's no you know? company. Yeah, there was this no was company, not a right? Company like, funded open source. Like exactly. Today, yeah. all these open source projects are all like funded by venture capital yeah. and stuff like that. And that we was like, not a thing at all back then. Exactly. And we were like 15 or so different people. Some of them, you know, worked at big companies. Some of them had their own startups. Some of them, like Yuyamo and I, we were teenagers, right? Like we met when when he and I were like 16, 17 or something like That's that. So <laughs> crazy. Yeah, exactly. So you know, our agenda, like we didn't have an agenda. We were just like we built this because it's cool, right? And so so you know, we learned a lot and and like the the what the people there learned i think is also that when you build a community you cannot say hey you know this is only for advanced like advanced use cases or something that's like usually like the it's not like that the user is dumb or like cannot understand it right it's like usually the framework's fault or the people who work on the framework if somebody cannot understand it and like this is like one of the things that Vercel is doing is like you know they're building like new thi new things into next.js and they're like we want to bring everyone on this journey with us right so they're trying to write write really good documentations or like dan abramov's documentation like that like primarily he wrote for the new react docs and i know like the rest of the react team was also heavily involved but like that's like the best example i've ever seen for a documentation website for an open source project it's just 
it's just this incredible level of detail. It has all the information that you need. Maybe not some like new features, but like if you want to use React and it's like this thing where you read it and it's never too long and then it's like, oh, I have a thought, but what about this? And you scroll down and it explains exactly this <laughs> thing and it's just absolutely perfect. And I think a lot of these learnings go back to this like early open source work that uh, a bunch of us in the community did back then that mm. where we did it wrong and now we know how to do it better, you know? Yeah, writing good docs, it's, it's an art form and it requires a very specific skill sets it requires both being able to explain things in a beginner friendly way which itself requires understanding the beginner mindset and that's something that senior developers really struggle with is being able to think back to what was it like when i didn't know anything and how would i explain this to someone who doesn't know anything because you have so much context yeah, exactly. And and this is actually a good example where there's a lot of people that come to open source projects and they're like, I don't know what code I could write to help out here, but you know, I'm good with documentation. And like quite often those people feel like, oh, is my skill even like worth it or not? Or like, you know, it, the thing is, if you are really good at explaining things, if you're good at breaking things down and understanding like complex concepts and like bringing people along with you, any open source project will be so lucky to have you. And like, you know, like I can just think about like Jest or like Yarn or like Metro when we worked on those, like how useful it was that like some people, they were like super excited to help with the documentation. Um, that's like one of the most powerful things you can do. And also if you get started by doing that in open source, you usually get such a deep appreciation of the thing that you're documenting that that makes you a more effective contributor to the project itself. It's some, It's just something that I want to say that like, we just don't have enough folks that, can do that and like there's a lot of and i feel like there are a lot of folks that would be really good at it that feel intimidated by feeling like that might not be a good enough contribution when it's in fact super appreciated by all the maintainers of all the projects yeah definitely um great so why don't we get into what you're working on today you're building a modern retro game called athena crisis so what does that mean yeah exactly so you know i, I think um the the thing here is that I worked on Mootools and then somehow many of the Mootools folks, um, they got scooped up by, by Facebook somehow, right? So there was Tom Okino, he was the first one. Then I was his intern actually at Facebook. So I was like the second one. And so um, I was saying that I was building like kind of social networks that were actually very similar to Facebook. But I, you know, I was a teenager, I was in high school. Um, and so I was just building that for my friends. I never like tried think thought about monetizing i just ran them on my, like my own servers that i like paid for or something so you know facebook sounded like just some, such an incredible place to be to be at and so 10 years later i thought okay i'm kind of done with like the social networking part and i did something else for a while but what i really realized especially after having two children is that i want to work on the things that i really deeply care about you know like because the, there's this thing where you can spend so much time of your life working and then you're like, oh, shit, I missed this uh, really big event in mm. like my children's life, right? And then mm. you end up just working, working, working. And then you think back and it's like, what was I even doing? I don't even remember what I was doing. I, all I remember is that I missed that moment, right? This reminds me of there's this movie, Walk Hard. It's a parody of a uh, music, music biopic. And uh, Dewey at one point was like, listen, I'm going to miss some birthdays. I'm going to miss some births, okay? <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Um, so... So it was just this thing where um, our second daughter, Lena, was born like a year ago. And I just thought, um, 
I want to have an excuse when I'm not around. I want to have an excuse for my two kids and also my wife to say I wasn't around because I was working on something that really, really deeply matters to me. And so, you know, just going back to like as a teenager, what I wanted to do is I wanted to build like social networks and games. And I still love both of those things. You know, I just feel like I've kind of maxed out on social networks a little bit more. And so real, now it's so real time quick, to go back to games. What are the games that you love? What are the games that you look back to and like are really pivotal for you? Because I, yeah, I am yeah. not a game like i said i don't know anything about game mm -hmm. development i played a lot of games growing up though okay yeah so i think you know my earliest memory is like playing mario on the nin like original nintendo in like when i was like four years old or something like uh, somebody in the family had like a for nintendo. me it was mario on the game boy but same yeah game. yeah that was just like wow you know you can play video games like that wasn't the thing right I like hit this button and the thing on the screen exactly jumps. right yeah it was incredible yeah and then, so I think I played a lot of like, like I was always like kind of like a Nintendo fan. Like I, I had all the consoles, like I, I played Donkey Kong on the Super Nintendo. That was like hugely influential to me. Um, and then also like Nintendo 64 was like, you know, I played a lot of games there, but what I really loved was like two games on the Game Boy Advance. And one of them was called Advance Wars and the uh, other one yeah. was called Golden Sun. Right on. And yeah, so, so those are both um, like turn-based RPGs, which makes sense why you're building a turn-based RPG. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And so Advance Wars is this kind of thing where I'm like, can I build this game with like web technology, just with JavaScript and CSS? Real quick, Scott, what were your games growing up? Mm, I mean, a lot of similar stuff. Um, actually, funny thing is like my dad uh, from when, I don't know, I guess he just hung on to it, but we had a freaking, we had an Atari. Mm -hmm. Like... That was the first game system I ever played was Atari, uh, you know, playing like Battleship or playing, um, I can't remember that one, but uh, Asteroids, that was one, uh, like uh, Pong or whatever. And then, you know, as things, life went on a little bit, uh, we got a Sega Genesis, I played, you know, Sonic. Sonic. Yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah. Uh, Aladdin, like flying that magic carpet, dude, that was difficult as heck, for real. <laughs> Um, stuff like that. Um, and then my, a lot of my friends did have a lot of the Nintendo systems. And so we played N64, Perfect Dark, blah, 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 you know, all kinds of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Pretty much that realm. And we <laughs> should say for listeners who maybe aren't as game literate as us, like, what is a turn-based RPG? Because it's, it's a very specific term. Right. Yeah. It's it's not really like an RPG, like what I'm building, but like RPG is like a role-playing game, right? Like, usually it's like um you walk around a big world and like you experience like some story. And like the game that I'm making is more a turn-based strategy. So the way you can imagine it is you playing chess but like with like pixel art and like with instead of like having a predefined board like you have different maps and like different biomes so you might be in a volcano world or in a desert or like in a snow world um and so it kind of looks like a prettier and maybe more complex version of chess i know chess is like super complex um but, but like stratego do you know I that game don't know that one okay yeah that's another, another turn-based strategy type game might, might be somewhat similar but yeah so what is the gameplay like? Like if someone is playing this game, what are they doing? Right. Yeah. So so basically, um, you can play up to seven um uh, people or AI. Uh, like you can you know play one versus one or one versus three or two versus two. Like you can make any sort of matchup, um, and any setup with like human players or AI. Um, and then you get like your units. Um, and like you go and you try to like take over the headquarter of the other player or like destroy all their units. Which is the thing that's that I'm actually not super happy about is that I, you know, like I, I'm totally like pacifist and like, I'm kind of like making a war game and like, I'm, I'm actually funny. like not, 
excited about that. But like when you're like making well, no, a game, no one was harmed in the making of this game. I yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and and so so I I don't feel like super comfortable with that part. But on the other hand, it's like very hard to make a game like that where you know you have to you know take over something or like destroy the other player right and like chess in that sense is also not a war game right mm-hmm. and so i'm obviously not making You're it very graphic yeah exactly yeah so so you have to like take over like your you know kick a kick another unit off the board right and so um you know i think i just really love that art style and the artists that i'm working with and like that's what we came up with and yeah i'm looking at the, the front page play. right now and it's yeah. like it's such a retro look i'd be curious exactly. though what does the name mean? Why Athena Crisis? Right. Yeah. Um. So. So actually, that goes back to. I don't know if you ever watched The Expanse or read the book series. It's called The Expanse. The Expanse. I've heard of it. I have, yeah. I have not uh, personally read it. Though. Yeah. So. Um. It's not necessarily that I was like just inspired by that and tried to rip it off, but like all the books that have like this like kind of two nouns or, or like something like that like kind of coupled together where like you read the book and it like makes sense but like it doesn't actually come up in the book mm-hmm. and so um for some reason when i started coding i named everything after greek gods so i have like a monorepo and like every part of the game is, is named after a greek god i'd never do that so i'm that's like where athena comes in the uh, greek god <laughs> goddess athena exactly yeah so i'm i'm always like when i'm coding it's like I always use the most descriptive names, never like one character variable names. And so this is like totally out of character, but I'm like, okay, I have like this thing that is like all these data structures and like this thing that's like the AI or something. And so I just named them after Greek gods. And then I'm like, okay, and now I need like something else that I like put together. So that's more like the sort of like how I came up with the name, what it means. Like I I cannot really tell you yet because that's going to be part of the game when it actually comes out. (laughs) Interesting. So is there like a storyline to the game? Is there writing and like what would someone expect getting into the storyline of the game yeah so that's um i'm actually you know i have a lot of ideas i have like ideas for the overall story and ideas for the individual campaign maps so so basically you you the way it works is like um there's single player and there's multiplayer and there's actually a hybrid mode where like you might actually have people coming into your single player game um and so um, there's going to be maps strung together where it's like, you know, let's say there's 30 different maps that you play over the course and like it gets uh, more difficult. You, you explore different environments and like stuff happens and like there are individual characters that are going to be focused on. Um, and so I'm currently actually looking for a writer to help me out on that. I'm not like a Hollywood um, 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 writer that like could just come up with like, oh my God, this is the next like Breaking Bad or something. Like, if you're making a game. Yeah, I was going to say, if you're making a game, it's good to kind of partner with people who are writers but actually, as, as Scott is saying here, you actually don't even really necessarily need a writer anymore if you just use ChatGPT. Yeah, you know, maybe down the line. I, I'm, I love all the It'll get you farther than you think, let me put yeah, it that that's, way. Yeah, that's true. I yeah. use it a lot for brainstorming, not necessarily right, for the yeah. story, but for, like, certain things. And just, like, I, boilerplate dialogue. You know, exactly. And then you can kind of yeah. hire a writer to kind of tweak it, make it a little bit nicer, but, like, it, it'll get you pretty dang far. Yeah, no, that that's that's true. I'm... I'm excited about all the advancements in AI, but I'm still trying to think of this as like, this is like a human created piece of art. And like, I'm trying to craft an experience that I'm, you know, going to, you know, this is going to be my business. I'm going to sell you this game, right? If you Mm -hmm. want to buy it. And so the idea here is that it's actually crafted by humans, you know, Um, which, you know, most games in the past were also. Um, So I'm, you know, not against using AI, but like I've actually shifted my mindset much more into like, you know, 
what is the purpose of like humans in like this new world right and so i'm thinking much, mm. i was never like an artist in that sense but now i feel i'm looking much more uh, of my uh, uh, at myself as like i'm trying to create a piece of art and like a crafted experience that like an ai just cannot do yet right and so i'm hoping yeah in a way right and so um you know i i think you're right it could get me pretty far and like it could be pretty average but i would like to you know aim for higher than pretty average well before we go down the ai path sure because <laughs> i think this could go far but um what what are you doing as far as like what's your plans for the future for um monetization is it selling the game or is mm -hmm. it in-game purchases is it you know how, how are you going about that and are you tying back to your roots of open source with any mm -hmm. of this you know mm -hmm. stuff like that yeah, so this is the super interesting question because it's actually really hard to answer. And if I had the answers, then it would be much easier. Yeah, if you um, had the answers, you'd be rich already. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, if you have a time travel machine, it would be so much easier, right? So you, we were talking about like favorite video games from the past, right? And so, so the way I got into it was like, I want to just, you know, it was probably 200 people that built a game like this 20 years ago. And I was thinking, can I just do the programming all by myself, hire artists, like pixel artists and like music artists. And I, thankfully, as you see, I, you know, I found some that can really like um, run with like the ideas that I had and like create something that looks like modern, but also retro, right? Yeah, it looks or, awesome from when I look at the website. It's a really cool look. And it's like, it makes me very nostalgic for like yeah, you know, back yeah. when I was playing, you know, Super Nintendo games. Yeah, the maps definitely look Mario-ish. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is interesting that I never thought about it, but it's actually, yeah, Super Mario Brothers 3, it kind of is inspired by that. So so the point I'm trying to make is that we're talking about video games and there's some that were like, you know, really influential, like um, for me growing up. But like the, the way I feel about gaming now is that there's like different types of gaming, right? And so there's like games like Elden Ring. I don't know if you played it, but that's like, you know, nowadays would be like my favorite game of all times. Like I've not played many video games recently, um, but that game is just it's it has such a rich depth where it's like you know this is just amazing and i spent like i spent more than 100 hours playing it which there's no other game in the last 10 years that i did that and so that is like incredible amounts of depth and then other games is like they have an ip and that's always going to be popular and that's like pokemon or mario right like and, and they're you know nintendo makes amazing games um but like you know that is like it sells easily right and then the third angle is like you know freemium games and like they don't have win conditions like you, you have it on your phone and you tap something all the time and you'd like you know maybe pay some money or you wait freemium games right personally. and so yeah. you know there, there's a lot of money in that space that's why they exist right but it's like not something that i want to go for i'd much rather go for like creating an ip or like m making an experience that has some amount of depth and that is where it gets really hard because you know you have elden ring which is like a major um triple um, a um, game that has like a big studio behind it and like probably a thousand or more people working on it so now the question is as a single developer who has a bunch of artists working with him like how deep of an experience can i actually build that like feels like okay this is an experience and so that's what i'm trying to do and it sounds and like so you you didn't consider necessarily like making a console game you've been kind of bought into you want this to be a web game is that right it is not going to be a web game in the sense that you know this is like just a browser you know you can play it on the web and like you can i have it on my phone right now you can play it on your laptop so it's going to be more like on you know uh, mac windows ios and android okay, so it's so more of a desktop game no, more yeah, of a desktop so, yeah okay, but, but also but, mobile okay. but like <clears throat> it's gonna be you know you'll it most likely will have one price and like you'll pay for that um and that's how i'm going to try to to monetize it um so are so you, you know trying to be more old school about it yeah are you focusing on so since you can use it on mobile devices like there's a lot of parts of the world like indonesia or south asia or wherever that that don't have 
desktops. They don't have PCs. Mm-hmm. They they just have a mobile device. They just have an Android. You know, exactly, like seventy yeah. percent of them. So when you say yes, we do have this. You know, uh, you know, being able to be used on on mobile devices. Are you thinking mobile first, or are you? You know, how is your development process? Right. So yeah, I guess now we can go into more the technical details, right? So sure. The, yeah. the constraint I put on myself is that um, so so basically it was a year ago, and we had Lena, and I thought it's awesome to have two children and they're both like the best thing that ever happened to me next to my wife. Those are the three best things that ever happened to me. Um, but also looking after kids is, as you know, is like just so hard, you know, it's the yeah. most rewarding and the hardest thing I've ever done. Totally. And so I just had to start coding again on the side. You know, I've been an engineering manager for the past like six or seven years. And I, I was coding at like uh, Facebook when I was there, but haven't done as much. And so, so the thing, you know, given that I started it as a teenager, like started coding as a teenager, as a hobby, it's still that thing where I go to where I'm like, this is what relaxes me. You no, know, just it's just, you know, maybe instead of sleeping, I started coding like one hours, two hours, maybe sometimes four hours at night, which wasn't good for my sleep. But like, you know, just me in a darkness, maybe, you know, um, with like my headphones, listening to music and just writing code. Right. And that like mm. gef- gave me so much balance. And I didn't even think about building anything from it. More like I want to just build this, you know, I built games back then, but I never knew how to build an AI. So I just tried to build that from scratch. So that's kind of how I started. And then I put some constraints on myself for no good reason, like maybe very bad reasons, but because it was like kind of a research art project or like meditation, if you will, like the decision I made was I'm only allowed to use dependencies uh, on the layer directly below me that I understand so much that I could rewrite them if I had to. It's not like I will wake up and I'm like, okay, I'm going to write a React. You know, it's not like it doesn't work like that, but I know enough about React having been, you know, at Facebook at the time, you know, I was in the same team where the React group was and I was managing JavaScript infra that I could like wake up and I'm like, I can build something reasonably compatible, right? And so I used React and Relay and um, which is also like the, the GraphQL client library oh, yeah. um, that Facebook All about built. That. Yeah. yeah, and I use like Facebook's translation library because that's actually still what I think the best one that like ever existed. And I use GraphQL, Prisma, um, Pothos, which is like a GraphQL library and all these things. Sweet stack. Yeah, it is. And I've like type safety all the way from my database to the client. Sure, and so, yeah. so the thing is that, you know, I don't understand game engines. And so the only way I could use one is if, I, is if I build one from scratch. And I chose to build one with JavaScript and React and the DOM and CSS. Wow. So these, these limitations, these restrictions you put on yourself, it almost sounded like at first that it was because you were just trying to make this a therapeutic thing mm-hmm. for yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. And really just kind of maybe free up some mental space or something while gaining some mental capacity at the same time. I don't know. Just Mm -hmm. all kinds of things. Um, But like a therapy session. Right. And for yourself. And it's very much like journaling almost. We're actually, Anthony and I were kind of talking about this before, how journaling uh, your thoughts, your feelings, what you're going on mentally can be very therapeutic. um, Almost like you're giving yourself a counseling session. Right. Yeah. And if, if coding is your thing, then then maybe you're kind of like just letting it out that way. So <clears throat> when you put these like restrictions on yourself, it was almost like, look, I'm not going to get into a new technology. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to try and learn any of that because that's not going to make this fun for me. It's not going to be therapeutic anymore. Mm-hmm. So now you've got this thing that is a therapy session plus something cool is about to come out of it, right? Yeah, so, yeah. So yeah. that's, yeah, I, I realized I didn't answer your question. So the idea was that I want to make something that um, is not mobile first and not desktop first. It's just, it works on both the same way. So like, 
you know everything first you know like right. um, and that's the great thing about the web you just get that for free if you like stick some constraints on yourself of like you know i'm only using pointer events you know and i'm not using hover you know i you know i have like some things where like you know you have to hover right now and it works better on desktop than on mobile, right? like agnostic is the ultimate challenge exactly yeah. yeah it's not easy right but then what you're saying yeah it's good like th that i didn't want to learn something new but actually that was really the point because i used everything that i understood to learn something new that I you, didn't know you about. You created like, something new. Yeah, but yeah. also like the, like I never knew how to build an AI or it has like fog, sure. like fog of war, like th like these areas that you cannot see. And that's almost like privacy rules because actually all that stuff is on the server. So when you play against other players, you don't want to see, you don't want to leak the game state of like what you're not allowed to see, right? Because mm. that defeats the purpose and then people can cheat. Mm. So you're like, okay, now I have like all these different fields on my map and some are visible and some are not. And like, it's crazy like thinking, oh, that's kind of like privacy rules when I was working at Facebook where it's like I'm posting something to only my friends and only five people can see it and other people cannot see it. And you so interesting. make sure you can't cross eye script it. Exactly. That's so yeah, cool. I, I was like trying to learn how to build certain things I never got to build before. Um, and now I guess the point is, yeah, I'm, I've created something from it and I have to actually change to be a little bit more pragmatic about what I'm doing, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool though. Yeah. That's awesome how that came from just trying to be more of yourself. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it, it was also like, there's this interesting thing where there's like multiple things that I learned over the last year. And that, that is like what led me to starting a company and like trying to build like a video game company in Tokyo is that two, two major things. One is, so, so my older daughter, Mia, she's five years old now. And I, I read this article that by the time a child turns uh, 12 years old, you'll, uh, that child will have They're already ruined. spent. <laughs> They're already ruined. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but like, as as like, they'll already have spent seventy five percent of all their time with their parent, you know, uh, because after that, you yeah. only see them for like birthdays or you know, and they have their own life, and you know, that's fantastic. But you know, I just thought, wow, she's already five, so you know, a lot of that time is front loaded because the younger they are, the more time they need with their parents, they're dependent on them, yeah. and so she's becoming more and more in the, uh, independent, and so I just want to like be there and you know i don't want to be stuck in meetings i want to have just much more control over my own time so that i can be there for the good moments i don't mind working at night or on the weekends if that means i can like pick her up from school and like you know hang out with in the park with her and so that was one and then the other one that was that um there are three versions of myself that i need to make happy so first off i need you know obviously i'm doing everything for my family but there's three versions of myself that i need to make happy so one is the, to be happy overall, you know, fulfilled over the course of my lifetime. So, so one is obviously the current version. It's like, this is what I want to do right now. You know, even if it's hard, this is like the hardest thing I want to do. And like, this makes me happy. And then the other version of myself is like my teenage self. And that guy was like, damn, you know, you're building video games. How fun is that, right? Because the teenage self is always like the one that's like trying to find like who they are, right? And so a lot of values, like maybe a lot of stuff is dumb, but like a lot of it is also like, damn, you know, this is who I used to be, right? And like, I'm still trying to be like that, you know, an improved version of that, hopefully, right? My teenage right? self was going to be a famous musician. Yeah. And tell him <laughs> otherwise. That's what he was going to be. Yeah. But then, so the other thing to counterbalance that is to think of my like maybe 80-year-old self and like that person should not have any regrets, right? And so um, I, if I'm 80 and I'm like, I started a video game company and it didn't work out and then I went and like took another job somewhere, that person would be like, great, you know, glad that I tried it, right? But if I'm like, oh, I wish I had done this at some point in my life, you know, it kind of sucks that I never did. And now what am I, you know, what am I going to start a video game company when I'm 80, right? Don't. So those are the three versions and like kind of like some of the decision, some of the things that or principles that I kind of built up over the last year on how I want to make decisions going forward now that I also have like a family.
That makes a hundred percent sense. I can relate with the whole family aspect of things mm-hmm. for sure. Having a daughter who's five, son who just turned four yesterday, and uh, three months old. Yeah, thanks. Amazing. Well, congratulations. Yeah. It's like that's a that's a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I I understand where you're coming from, hundred percent. And by the way, if you're eighty and you're listening to this, it's not too late. You can do it. No, definitely. <laughs> yeah, but it, yeah, year olds are yeah, to absolutely. <laughs> okay, even yeah. if you're fifty or sixty, like what Oprah Winf- Winfrey didn't didn't start her stuff till she was like fifty. I mean, and Oprah know. Winfrey is one of our biggest listeners. Yeah, of yeah. course it is. Yeah, <laughs> duh. Geez. Absolutely. And I didn't mean it in, in that way. Like, you know, ideally you can still do things when you're totally. 80, right? But totally. you should also not regret no, those no, no. things, you know? I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. So I'd be <laughs> curious. So is this something that people could play today? If not, what is the timeline on when someone can expect to be able to interact with this game? Right. So, yeah, if you go to the website, you can sign up for early access. And I'm hoping that I'll be in like some sort of alpha beta state like over the course of the summer. Um, I don't want to like um, talk about the release date too much yet. I'm thinking it'll be late this year, but, um, you know, it might slip a little bit. Okay, because so there's uh, time in the next year. Yeah. yeah. There's like, a, a you know, this is like the big difference from like, hey, this was a meditative thing and I'm going to ship it like whatever to like, oh, this is actually what I'm going to do as my like, l- you know, job. I started a company and I learned how to incorporate a company in Japan, which is actually incredibly hard. So there's a lot of admin work associated with all that stuff. But also, you know, I have more motivation to make a really good product uh, rather than like I just built this and like ship it. So, you know, it might not come out at that earliest time that I was hoping for, like in like maybe September. It might take a little bit longer. Um, But yeah, and next to that, I'm trying to open source as much as I can. But then there's this whole thing of like, you know, I build everything from scratch and I want to open source some of the things that were useful to me. But then I also just want to build the game and ship it, right? So this is like this whole thing where... You know, a lot of video game developers say, like, they want to build their own engine, but that's to build their game. But then all you end up doing is building an engine and not shipping a game. So I got a question for you. Have you thought of, and maybe you probably have thought of this, but in all seriousness, like, what about pre-selling it? I mean, have you thought about that process? You know, maybe even, like, just to kind of give you an analogy, like, you know, like a Kickstarter thing, but not Kickstarter. You could just kind of kickstart it yourself, uh, you know something like that yeah absolutely i i am thinking about this so um there will definitely be some sort of pre-sale for the people that sign up because i i want to give discounts to people that are supporting (laughs) cool things in the game exactly yeah i want to i want to make sure that people that support me from early on they also um get something out of that um the thing that is amazing and that also changed the equation quite a lot is that um one of github's co-founders chris wanstrath he um recently started a video games publishing company and so um i you know I was lucky that we could sign. And so he's actually going to, his company is going to publish um, the game once it's released. So I'm really excited about that. Very cool. That is very cool. Are there other things you would like to speak about in the game or the process of creating the game or just anything else you want to talk about? Yeah, uh, so so the thing I think that's like really the the craziest part about it is that it's like really all JavaScript and CSS and like React. That's really impressive. There's no WebGL in it. I'm... I'm not going to promise right here that by the time it ships, there will be no WebGL <laughs> in it. Because, like, you know, I, as I said, I have to be more pragmatic. Yeah. But you're seeing, like, we, there's... Can we nerd out real quick? What would be required to use WebGL that you can't do with React? Oh, it's mostly about performance. So, so the big problem that I'm running... So React is absolutely fantastic. And so so you see the map there, right? And, I'm, you know, whoever's listening, maybe encouraged to just check out, yeah. like, what it Athena looks like. AthenaCrisis.com. Yes, thank you. Yeah, Um. 
And so it, basically you have a map and you have like some units on the map and there's like a 2D grid, right? And all those units, they're like DOM nodes and they're all React components. And so the great thing about... That's incredible. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, so when they're moving around, it's like just um, the way it works is there's immutable persistent state. And so this is the thing that where I was learning so much, you know, so so I don't know if you remember, but Lee Byron, he used to work at Facebook for a long time and sure, like yeah. um, Graf created GraphQL, Graf right? GraphQL, yeah. And he built immutable JS. That's something that people don't use nowadays anymore because there's like newer solutions and like there's, um, you know, mutable state libraries but then for this game i thought the m smartest way to have to to implement any action in the game is to use persistent data structures with immutable um data so the idea is that the whole game state is like one data structure and then you execute act actions against this game state so you're like okay i want to move this unit from like you know like this position reducer in, in yeah in in a way yeah but like it i'm not using reducers i'm i'm not a big fan actually so i'm like conceptually yeah yeah basically yeah 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 you, brain, you, you basically know? execute yeah. actions if you're looking about it from a front-end perspective like you're executing actions against some state right mm -hmm. and so you want to move a unit from position one two like in a, in a 2d grid from x and y to like three, four, then you just like execute a move action against the map. And then there's some imperative code that like changes the map and like gives you back a new map state. But then the cool thing is that because they're persistent data structures, I can very easily keep 10,000 game states in memory with almost no overhead because only like the difference between two states will actually be like uh, causing additional memory usage. And so, so first off, like that reduces the amount of memory that I'm using both on the server and client. But second, the cool thing is I can feed this data structure into the tree of my React component, and that will just render the entire game state. And if something changes, React will just figure out, oh, what's the difference? And it's like, oh, I guess you have, I have to move these, this unit from here to there. And so the entire game state is like declarative. And so that's like something where what I'm really excited about, which also is maybe it's not a real time game, you know, it's turn based, so it's much easier to do. But if you look at all the recent like AAA games, they're using all these like old, gigantic, amazing, and also feature rich, like, you know, 3D environment, like um, game engines, but they have so many bugs. There's they have visual bugs, they have like, they crash, they're slow. They have all these issues because people just don't really understand when there's a thousand people working on it with like very little or like wrong version control um, and all this like imperative code. And so what I was trying to do here is like, can I find the right data structures to like model the game state so that there's actually no bugs? Or like you know very few bugs and you know of course there's some and not everything is working but we we recently did an indie game show my wife and i and we had um two stations and there were people playing the game from 10 a.m to 6 p.m the whole day on both stations and there was not a single gameplay bug you know and like wow. the game isn't even finished and there's still lots of issues but that's something where it's like okay this model really works for like building a video game that's turn-based which makes it that much more easier for an individual person as yourself to be able to continue to build this thing out. And exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. And you just may change the world of gaming altogether. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll see. I definitely, I just think create some really good docs. For <laughs> <laughs> yeah. From the front end perspective, that's definitely something I'm looking at to like, just it's so hard in like video game engines to make like good UI. And like, I'm, I'm probably trade like, you know, as a, teenager as an engineer at Facebook I was a front-end engineer you know yes I, I did work on tooling a lot but I care so much about how like 
an app or tool like chest like at the time like makes you feel when you use it and i want people to feel like oh yeah you know my test like i'm i'm you know i'm trusting this tool with my test and i feel good about it right and so when i'm building like a front end like a other video video game i want that ui to just like feel right and like css is like it just gives you everything for free you know so, so pretty much everything in the game has like very subtle transitions very subtle animations on it so I, I cannot build something that where like at the end it's like I'm gonna go build the UI at the end now that the data model is done and like I'm just gonna polish this I'm like I have to build the UI almost before anything else right? I love that actually because that's how I feel about a lot of things like that's why I love front end so much more than anything back end and I just tend to be attracted to it more is because mm -hmm. I feel like I can do that and I have that visual and I can you know feel what I'm doing essentially but yeah that's really cool yeah, exactly. And so one thing that I was recently working on, like during the last few uh, few days during all these conferences, is the scenario editor, where like you know when you go on a campaign map, you have characters talking to each other, right? And you have like you have to define which character so like the um, talks about what stuff, and like there's different portraits, like different reactions, like emojis, kind of like for those characters, and like you have to like make those decisions and then like put together a dialogue, right? And I try to just make the best possible front end to make those dialogues, even though you know. At at the moment i'm like the only developer right but it's like it's safe as safe so much time to to like be able to um create like the story inside of the game itself rather than like writing code and like trying to have to look up like what is the portrait here and like there yeah so i'm always trying to build the right tooling and have the tooling also have a good user experience as well yeah makes you capable of building something from a more artistic perspective like you were talking about before mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. super cool Awesome. Well, I think this might close it out for us. Unless there's anything else you want to speak about. Otherwise, I would say feel free to let our listeners know where can they find you online? Where can they find your game? Yeah. So um, as you said earlier, it's AthenaCrisis.com. Um, you can also just Google Athena Crisis. Usually easier. You'll find it. And what um, about you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can find me on Twitter, I guess. Um, it's C-P-O-J-E-R. Um, you can also just look for my name, Christoph Nakazawa. You'll, you'll find me. Awesome. Well, thank you, man. This is a super interesting conversation. You have a really fascinating background. You're building a really cool project. So um, shout out to Kent, who is the one who helped us put this together. And yeah, I very much recommend listeners check out your uh, profile and check out your games. I think it'll be um, pretty interesting to play. Thank yeah. you so much. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, man, for, for joining us. It thank was a great you. conversation.